0: Welcome to the Vaughn Nelson podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. And Stan, good to be here. Good to hear from Chris. So, uh, Chris, let's talk again about unemployment, our favorite topic. Uh, you know, weekly unemployment data was was pretty consistent with last week's initial claims. Uh, we saw that they remained elevated, about eight hundred forty thousand, and continuing claims they, they fell about a million um, down to ten point nine million. Um, and so, you know, last week in our conversation, we discussed that continuing claims. It could be declining due to an expiration of state benefits and not an improvement in labor conditions. Um, so, as you know, as we look through this week's data, is there any any evidence that the improvement is driven by expiration of state benefits or improvement in labor conditions?
1: Yeah, Dan, unfortunately, when you look at this week's data, you know, certainly the elevated continuing claims would indicate that what we're seeing is the expiration of benefits more so than an improvement in job conditions and you know that's further supported when you look at the way we're seeing a shift within those continuing claims so you're starting to see a fall off in claims of or continuing claims from traditional sources of unemployment benefit and an increase in continuing claims as it relates to pandemic assistance and other extraordinary assistance Um, and so it unfortunately it really does look like at this stage That the improvement in continuing claims is a reflection of expiration of benefits now it's still a little early to confirm that that's just where the the evidence we see over the last two weeks is pointing Uh, but it should be borne out over the next two to three weeks of whether that really is the case or whether states have been able to extend uh, some of their benefit expiration timelines and there's also a little bit of uncertainty this week because I think there were some changes in the way California has chosen to report some data. Uh, so we'll we'll give it another week or two before we confirm that thesis. But you know, preliminarily, it, it's definitely looking that
0: direction. Right. Right. All right. Well, we'll, we'll put it on the docket and, and, and check back in next week. Um, uh, over to our, for our second one of our uh, other favorite topic, stimulus. Um, you know, so we have repeatedly discussed the need for additional stimulus to sustain consumption, and you know, as, as we're looking at income statistics this year. We've seen wages and income are down about 5%. The personal income, and this includes government transfers, is up 12%. So as you evaluate, as you evaluate the impact of stimulus checks on consumption, you know, we can certainly see that the highest earners have cut consumption by about 10%, and lower, lowest earners' consumption has remained roughly flat year over year. Um, so you know, with stimulus negotiations bogged down, what do you see as the short-term implications if no ad- additional stimulus is passed? Yeah, uh,
1: you know, this is just one of those situations where politics is is really getting the the best of what would, really needs to be support for just the human condition. And you know, while we see the highest earners have cut consumption by 10 percent, it's not necessarily because their incomes have been hit. It's because areas where they would spend just aren't open. Right? There's not the availability for travel and going out to eat and entertainment and sporting events and all of those things all that discretionary spend has 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 declined whereas what you really see with the lower income earners they're spending everything they can and you know they didn't have large discretionary budgets to start with and we actually have seen a rise in in the basic needs uh for your cost of living so I think from a humanitarian standpoint, it's a pretty it's pretty negative if we don't get a stimulus uh, in the near term. And while it may not have as large an economic impact from where we are, there's just no question that it's going to further exaggerate the wealth inequality and, and really the haves and the have-nots. Um, and I, quite frankly, despite what we've seen in headlines recently, I just don't see how practically we're going to get a stimulus before the election and depending on the nature of the outcome, it could drag out even further while both parties acknowledge the need for stimulus. I mean, they just can't move past their own selfless interest to, to really help out a large portion of the American population.
0: Right. And, and continuing on the, on the threat of consumption. So, you know, consumption in 2020, um, you know, we've seen it redirected from services to goods. So That's a little bit of what you just described there. Um, and we've noted that there's a strong inventory cycle underway, but it'll likely last several quarters and support an ongoing industrial recovery. So you know in light of flattening unemployment outlook and wanting near term stimulus, what do you think the state of the recovery in the service side of the economy looks like?
1: Yeah. The so certainly from a rate of change standpoint, the services side of the economy may start to flatten out. Uh, And even though kind of, as we've already discussed, the unemployment benefits and and the stimulus checks that have really supported a lot of the incremental spend are starting to fade, there's still enough underlying support for the services side of the recovery to continue uh, for for the near term here. And a lot of that is some of the delayed openings in some of the states are finally starting to come through. Uh, We're starting to see a kind of a broadening out in the states that have been open for uh, a little bit longer where you're starting to see capacity increase at restaurants. You're starting to see miles driven. So just in general, the populations are a little more comfortable moving around and kind of going about their their normal daily life. So I do think, you know, the service side of the recovery is going to continue near term. No question in my mind that if we don't get stimulus, you know, fairly soon after the election, Uh, There's going to be some real challenges with that side of the recovery. And we really got to keep in mind the unique nature of this recession. You know, in a typical recession, you typically see real spending in services decline about 1%. It has fallen 20% this time. And there were about 18 million service sector jobs that were lost, and we've only recouped about half of those. And so while, you know, as you discussed, the focus on Goods being consumed in this jumpstart on the industrial side of the economy is fantastic. And it really will follow through for several more quarters. You know, it's by far the smallest part of our overall economy spending still 70% of our economy. And there's still just a massive economic hole there, so near term, we have a little bit more visibility into a recovery, but we really are going to need to get another round of stimulus soon if we want to continue to see improvement on the services side of the economy.
0: right? You mentioned services you know it's a small part of the economy, but it certainly is a visible part of the economy. and as you described these you know these eighteen million jobs that are lost in the service sector, and you know if we're halfway back on a, on a recovery. Do you think that we ever return back to a level where we have um, you know those type of peak numbers prior to uh, COVID-19, or do you think that this is a sector that is you know, potentially impaired for for a, a, quite some time here?
1: I should, I, I'll I'll be I'll be an optimist here. I do think we're going to get back, and and there's always a silver lining in this. There certainly are going to be parts of what we have known as the services economy that will be permanently impacted and as we've talked about you know the acceleration and a lot of secular trends that were already in place um, are going to create permanent job losses and unfortunately for people in those positions who are much much later in their career and either don't have the means or the desire to reskill or transfer into other areas of the economy they're going to suffer just a permanent dislocation at the same time this you know this destruction there is a creative destruction element to this, so I don't think we've lost any of the entrepreneurial spirit in younger generations, and so when you see rent falls as an example in retail locations, certainly in urban centers, and you see what you know today we call kind of the urban blight of just shutting of small and mid sized businesses, we're going to come up with new businesses to fill those spots rents will get low enough it'll induce activity and my guess is it'll actually be more dynamic and i think you know culturally a, a little bit more improved from that standpoint so we're going to rebuild the services side of the economy the question is how big and where and what's new um and, and like restaurants are certainly going to come by you know they're easy to start up it's just a question of getting the capital to them but you know we may say see real structural changes uh, not just in retail where we're used to seeing it but also in healthcare we're going to see a massive acceleration and deregulation in healthcare delivery so that's going to have a, a significant impact so yeah we'll get it back it's going to take a long time um, we can certainly look at fiscal and monetary policy choices we've made since '09 and go yeah, they, they, they've been horrendous, and they've been a real headwind to growth, and the ones we've made during COVID have been horrendous, and they've been a real headwind to growth, but eventually we'll start to get those policies correct and hopefully uh, be in a position to, you know, rebuild the services side of the economy.
0: Right, and I mean, this is something that we've seen, you know, for, for all of humankind, the creative destruction element, and I think your example of healthcare is, is spot on, and that, I can't tell how many folks that I've I've spoken with that have some type of a, a virtual doctor's appointment over the last several months. So, you know, we're definitely seeing a shift there that it seems like it's a, a permanent fix.
1: Sure.
0: Um, so, you know, just rotating over to the markets, you know, we've seen uh, they have continued to remain choppy over the last few weeks. And, and you know, the volatility that we've seen in the equity markets is, is starting to spread into credit spreads and treasury yields. Uh, so your know, question is, you know, do you think that this volatility is reflecting concern around the presidential election? Um, and secondarily, this week, uh, we saw Wall Street, uh, you know, more or less has declared a Biden victory or presidency. Um, you know, we're in Democratic sweep of Congress, and they've you know, seen what deemed it bullish for, for equity markets. So uh, the question, again, the second part is, you know, do you, do you agree with that view?
1: Yeah. So I, I really think the volatility in equity markets, like whenever there's volatility in the market, journalists go to some narrative and go okay this is causing it and whatever it is it's just a catchy headline is there some incremental volatility surrounding the election absolutely there's no question about that we as we always do you know they have to engineer this binary narrative of this is good and this is bad and they sell it to the public and the public on the margin can do can uh, have that influence the reality is The volatility we've seen in markets were predicted uh, to a large extent when the Fed laid out its initial stimulus program, which showed beginning in the third quarter, liquidity was going to begin to decline. And with that, uh, you know, that's going to induce a little more volatility. So that increase in volatility was already going to be coming into the market just because of the fall off in the liquidity under the Fed's plans. And the Fed always goes to a more neutral stance moving into an election to minimize any any view of bias they may have. At the same time, market participants, I think, were surprised at Congress's unwillingness to support the American consumer and the American households that have been hit the most and we're surprised to see politicians put their own interest over the true needs over the large majority of u.s households and not pass an additional stimulus so when we saw the fall off in the dollar and and this reflationary trade that was underway really since you know the, the the end of the panic portion of the pandemic response that was the market saying, look, we can see the serious damage done to the economy. We can see fiscal policy understands how bad it is, and they pump $6 trillion out on an annualized basis, and therefore, we can assume, given the longer-term nature of the destruction that's been caused by these lockdowns, stimulus is just going to continue to come one after another, and so that's going to be very loose monetary policy, very loose fiscal policy, and therefore, dollar negative and reflationary and even stagflationary in the beginning. And that's what was being priced into the market. And then when it became apparent that politics was taking over rational thought and the need to provide food and security to individual households, then we've seen a reversal in the dollar. That then created a sell-off. It means people that got incrementally long during the first correction, those levered buyers, started ending up underwater, so we started unwinding that to the equity market seeing an increase in volatility, and at the same time, eventually that began to spread to treasuries, and so as treasury fall has increased, the the fair value of the 10-year yield has widened out. Um, As it relates to Wall Street declaring, hey, this rally back is because of a Biden sweep, and it's going to be great. I think all Wall, Wall Street, if if it was going the other way and it was going to be a Republican sweep, they would have said the same damn thing. Wall Street is going to have a narrative that you have to buy securities post any event, no matter what. They've never come out and said sell. So, they looked at the polling. They said it looks like it's a Biden win and could be a Democratic sweep. Let's start building the narrative that that's really good and let's go buy. And, and and then get people to buy assets. That's all that Wall Street is doing. I personally think that the political choices by either party from an economic policy standpoint are so limited, it doesn't matter who wins the presidential election. We're going to need massive stimulus, and it's going to be financed by the Fed, period, end of story. Or they're going to accept a deflationary outcome in a very – Short-term period in office. My bigger concern is there are such perverse political incentives now and really for the next decade that you really don't want either party to be in control of both the White House and Congress because the extent you get that, you're probably going to get very distorted and malinvestment in the form of stimulus and in form of you know the market impact. And it'd be similar to. Uh, the, the policies we've seen for the last 10 years and its hindrance of true underlying economic growth. So I'm a little skeptical of the Biden sweep narrative. If it was a Trump Republican sweep, they said the same thing. Um, I do think it has more to do with the lack of stimulus um, and thus just getting closer to the election and the fact that we know when we get on the other side of this, we're going to see some form of stimulus and the market gaining comfort with that. And we can't underestimate what we've seen rally really in the last two to three weeks, and it's been driven by small-cap regional banks up 12% quarter to date um, in October. the Russell 2,000 value up about 9%, and then the NASDAQ, you know, slightly positive. Well, what is that telling you? It's telling you people are selling – they're degrossing. They're selling their longs. They're covering their shorts. And the best-performing sectors are REITs and utilities. So this is less about a big reflationary story and more about degrossing levered books and positions and saying, hey, we're getting a little closer to more stimulus, so let's remain somewhat balanced here until we see what happens. That's what
0: I think is really going on in the markets. Right. No, and there's some some good points out there and particularly around the the, the Wall Street narrative. Um uh, self preservation at some level, right? You gotta buy risk assets <laughs> to make to make the engine move and um, yep. You know the, the economic choices being limited as they are, and and really the stimulus that's that's going to more likely than not result um, with uh, with with no regard to who steps into the to the White House, um, come January. So, okay, well, fantastic, Chris. Looks it uh, was a good place to break for this for this week, and yeah, you know, certainly thank you for your thoughts, and we'll look forward to catching up here in, uh, next week. Sounds good, Dan. Take All time. right, thanks, Chris. The views, information, and/or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast or any podcast in the series does not constitute professional investment advice or services